We have been studying, as if you don't know, the book of Numbers forever. And uh, there's more to come. Uh, and it is, as you know, a wonderful chronicle of ancient Israel's wilderness wanderings. We're reading it not just to be informed about ancient Israelite history, uh, but to be transformed by it. We would like to do things just a tad bit better than they did as we follow our Lord on our journey, on our way to our land of promise. And so uh, tonight I want to direct your attention just to a brief passage of Scripture. It's in Numbers chapter 8, and it's the first four very interesting verses which I would like to commend to your attention and I'll read it to you. It's Numbers chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 4. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in the front of the lamp stand. Aaron, therefore, did so. My beloved brother Buddy and I, we talk about different things from time to time. And one of Buddy's questions is, when are these people, they're getting off to such a good start. Everything God tells them to do, they do. But we know that's not going to last too, sadly, not going to last too much longer. Buddy, if they just kept doing this, I think the whole Middle Eastern situation, which we're so concerned about, would be different, wouldn't it? So at this point, Aaron did so. He mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold. From its base to its flowers, it was hammered work, according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. You know, as I do, that God on one occasion called Moses to him up on Mount Sinai. Moses had to ascend, God had to descend, for he's the most high God. And he established, he said, a point of contact there with Moses. The people were at the base of the mountain, couldn't come too close. It was holy, not inherently, but wherever God makes his presence, it becomes holy. You are holy if God is present in your life. But anyway, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and he went up there and brought down with him what? Yeah, the Ten Commandments. And you know how significant and profound they are, don't you? Today, I think the uh, legal systems of the entire world uh, emanate from an economy of words found in the Ten Commandments. And uh, try, as uh, some of the leaders of the world, even in our country, will, to rid themselves of it, uh, the Ten Commandments are a blessing. Do you not agree? Uh, in it, God essentially is saying, I care how you live. Don't you love that? I just love that. I care how you live. I'm, I, I, I'm not an unconcerned observer. I'm not arbitrary uh, about the course of your life. I want it to be good. I want you to thrive. I want you to have a meaning. I want you to have an abundant life. That's what God wants. Those are her, his kind intentions to us. And so he says, walk this way. No, no not that way. So the Ten Commandments are not to cramp our style. No, 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 no. They are to enlarge our life. And the giver of life, the Father, the Father knows best. 
So we can understand what a marvelous privilege this undoubtedly was for Moses as the representative of the ancient Israelites to be called up on the mountain so as to leave with hands and heart and mind full of the very moral character of God reflected on inscriptions on these tablets. And I think you also know that that's not all that God gave Moses. He also, now this is a little more of a stretch, a a little harder to understand. He also gave Moses um, detailed, uh, planned, specific, um, precise instructions with regard to the construction of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. Now, that's a little more perplexing for, for me and perhaps for you. I see the purpose of God graciously uh, giving um, the representation of his heart and nature inscribed on tablets, rules by which to live. But I don't understand why God gave these voluminous, detailed uh, directives with regard to all of what concerned the tabernacle, not the least of which was the item mentioned in our text tonight. Uh, this item called the lamp stand, the golden lampstand. It was to be made, God told Moses to tell Aaron, according to the pattern which God revealed, along with the commandments, which God revealed to Moses uh, on the mountain. And so uh, at your leisure, I would invite you to look through Exodus chapter um, 25, and you will see um, how how detailed were the instructions God gave about this particular golden lampstand. It was, for instance, to be made of unmixed pure gold. It was, God said so. He said, make it of pure gold. One massive piece of gold weighing approximately 75 pounds. That's what God said. It was to have cups at the top to house oil. They were to be shaped as almond blossoms. Uh, It was to contain bulbs and flowers. And all of this uh, was to be one massive piece of solid, pure gold. It was to have a base from which uh, moved vertically upwards a stem. And from the sides of the central stem were to emanate three branches to the left and three uh, to the right, out and up, for a total of seven lamps. And those seven lamps were to be so positioned, so mounted, that they would cast their light to the front of the lampstand. That's what God told Moses, Exodus 25. It is reiterated for us in the brief text we read here tonight in Numbers 18. They were to shed light to the front. Sometimes we refer to it, I do, we all do, as a as kind of a candlestick. In fact, this one has candles, the one before you. Uh, but the one which God decreed was to be designed was really not correctly termed a candlestick because it contained no wax. Uh, the light uh, was sourced in olive oil, which would have been put on the cups 
on the top of the lampstand filled with olive oil and a wick part in it and part hanging over it. And uh, so no wax. So it's it's called a menorah. It's uh, perhaps the oldest symbol that Jewish people have today. If you go to Israel today and go past their government building called the Knesset, the equivalent of our uh, uh, Capitol building in Washington, D.C., you will see on the outside a massive menorah, quite a work of art, uh, shaped just like the one described in Exodus 25. And so it ran on oil lamps, and they were to burn continually. So says God in Leviticus chapter 24, command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light to make a lamp burn continually. And that responsibility was given to Aaron, the high priest. Light had to be kept burning continually by the high priest. Keep your thoughts going as to what all this mysterious stuff means. Well, uh, it, this lampstand, this menorah was to be placed in the tabernacle, but in a special holy room. And the problem was, it was completely dark. The room was completely dark because there were no windows. No natural light could enter in, but light was needed. You see, wherever there is darkness, you need light to dispel it. Uh, Light was needed in that special room in the tabernacle because it was filled with darkness. Uh, the ancient Israelites needed light to enlighten their paths because the wilderness was filled with darkness. And I think most of you will admit to this. There's something wrong with our hearts, folks. They're filled with darkness. Apart from the light of life, whose presence dispels the darkness, we have a big problem. Our hearts are filled with darkness. We see it individually today. We see it in high places, in low places. We see it nationally. We see it internationally. Hearts are dark, and they lead us to all manner of behaviors, uh, of a very strikingly dark kind. Anyone who remains in the darkness is capable of the most dastardly deeds. If I was in a court of law and had to argue about the inherent nature nature of man, please don't give me the position to argue that man is born good. I just don't have enough evidence to support the case. But I think I could persuade any jury of my peers that our inherent nature is characterized by darkness and we evince it in every day of our lives. We do the most astoundingly dark, sinful, and evil things. And so God, notice, gave light. God gave the lamp stand for light because God, by the way, is light. 
This lampstand represents the very presence of the God of light. He knows better than we that we need light to dispel the darkness of our hearts. We need light to illuminate our paths. We need light to keep us from stumbling. We need light so that we can see what there is. Even the wise people of the world seem not to see the obvious and make decisions on the basis of astoundingly and apart from God who is light, irreversibly dark hearts. But God is good. God is light. So God gave a provision of light so as to dispel the darkness. The lampstand we're reading about is a symbol of the very presence of God. It is uh, mandated that it contains seven lamps. And you may or may not know uh, that the number seven in the Bible is a very significant number. It represents, in almost all cases, completion or fullness. Notice the joining in our text of the number seven with light. What we're talking about here is not diminished light, not minimal light, not man-made light, not imperfect light. We're talking about light in its fullness, in its radiance. We're talking about undiminished light, which cannot be extinguished by the darkness. Folks, that golden lampstand represents the very presence of the God of light. And that's why, as important were the Ten Commandments which he gave Moses, so too were his specific stipulations with regard to the construction of an item such as the lampstand. It symbolized, it foreshadowed, it represented the otherwise unseen God who was light. He could not leave this up to man's imagination. He said, make it according to the pattern which I showed you on the mountain. This represents the God who comes to give light so as to dispel the darkness. Do you know what that golden lampstand represents? It represents Jesus, who is the light of the world. God the Father, who is light, sent God the Son, who is light, so as to dispel the darkness in our lives, and in our world. Jesus, as we sung earlier tonight, is indeed the light of the world. He came to give light. The lampstand in our text was said to be made of hammered work. Hammered work. That means a human artisan picked up a hammer <laughs> and shaped and formed the materials. It was hammered work, and so... I read again verse 4 of our text. This was the workmanship of the lampstand. Hammered work, beaten metal of gold. From its base to its flowers, there it is again. Hammered work, according to the pattern which the Lord has shown. So you have this interesting partnership between divine design and decree and human involvement. And what a representation of the divine human Great mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, in essence, divine, but on the outside, 
in his enfleshment, he took on human form. Just as the golden lampstand in the tabernacle had divine initiative behind it and human involvement, so too did God enfleshed represent the otherwise unseen God and yet in human form. I think this golden lampstand represents not only the uh, Lord Jesus, who is the, uh, we call him the incarnate word. Incarnate means in flesh or embodied word. But I think the lampstand also represents the very written word of God, which many of you hold in your hands right now. For it too is of divine authorship. Make no mistake about it. It too is inspired uh, by God and yet through human vessels. Isn't that true? In fact, we're reading right here. What God gave, divine authorship, through Moses, the human vessel. God the Father, don't you see, is light. God the Son is light. And the very word of God which you have is light. It is not the Quran which is not light. <laughs> it's not anything like that. It is categorically different. It has divine imprint on it. It is without error, for it is inspired by God. Just as God inspired the design, decreed the manufacture and craftsmanship behind the golden lampstand, which he entrusted to human craftsmen, so too is the word of God, which he entrusted to human recorders, and yet under such superintendence that what came out was exactly what God intended for it to be. God is light. The sun is light. The word of God is light. In fact, of the word of God, the psalmist says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, we read in the text that the lamps, when mounted, were to be mounted on the lampstand in such fashion that the light was cast in the front of it. So we read in verse 2, Speak to Aaron, say to him, When you mount the lamps... The seven lamps will give light in the front of the lampstand. That's what it says. Why? Because God is all about leading us home. He's all about moving forward, not going backwards. He's all about leading us into our land of promise. He's all about guiding us through the journey, which we call life lived on this plane, on our way to life which is on an entirely different and much higher plane. He's not about retreat. He's not about surrender. He's not about giving in. He's not about giving up. He's about moving forward. And so we need light to move forward. The lampstand did not have to shine. Look, imagine that all the lights went off in this place, and perhaps you've experienced that in your very home earlier today. Apparently, there's a new procedure to... Save uh, the costs of uh, electric resources. And so whether you like it or not, most of us are on this plan where uh, our decision makers have decided to turn off the electricity. By the way, did you give, did you say that's okay? Did you, did they ask you? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, I didn't get the call either. So I was just wondering. So anyway, so let's say they do it here. Oh, the good old Sagemont. And, um, and the lights went out. Let's, let, let's say they did. So, so I get my, my little old flashlight here because I want to go. Let's say I want to go that way. I want to, I want to leave. I want to go home. It's dark in here. Well, now, why would I use the flashlight back here? I, yeah, 
I need light. I, I want to go down these steps. Look at the I'm going to fall. It's dark. I need this to take a step forward. I, I don't, I'm not interested. I don't want to go. Th- I want to get out of here. So, so can you see what a beautiful symbol? You know what, folks? Too many of us, me, you, are way too focused on our past. Way too focused. Things have happened to us, all of us. Hurts, wounds, offenses, abuses, abandonment, neglect, all kinds of things. Breakups. I mean, well, sinful things we've done. I mean, whatever. Sinful things done to us. You know, this text just smacked me in the face. This is if God was saying, Stuart, don't spotlight your past. I'm illuminating your future. You see, you can get morbidly introspective and reflective about understanding everything in your past that made you the way you are. Come on. What is that? It would drive you crazy. Drive you crazy. You know what God said? I'm not wasting any light for you to be an expert on your past when the past has passed. I don't want you finding your way back there. I want you going forward. I'm bringing you forward. Someone dragged you down. Somebody hurt you. This, that. I'm your guide. I'm your light. Come forward. I have a future for you. I've given you a future and a hope. I have a land of promise. You have needs. Yeah, yeah. You've been deprived of this, that, and the other thing. Move forward, move forward, move forward. Be careful about spending too much time back there. Move. God is light. Jesus is light. The word of God is light for the journey forward. Do you know, do you happen to know what the first words of, recorded words of God are in the Bible? Because it's in the book of Genesis. What are the first recorded words of God, first statement he made? Remember, 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 that's the words of God, but that was written by Moses. What's the first thing that God declared? Let there be light. Huh? Huh? Let there be light. He didn't say, let there be financial prosperity. Let there be full, total understanding of, you know, every cosmic question in the universe. Let there be full comprehension of why stuff happened to you over here. Let there be light. You know why? Light is a real source of warmth and comfort. Don't you agree? Um, God called Moses into the tabernacle. He, he called him there to speak with him. He don't take that lightly. Moses is just a human like you and me. Uh, same fears, same everything, same, same everything, flaws. God says, Moses, meet with me in the holy place of the tabernacle. But I mentioned to you, it was a windowless room. Can you imagine going into a dark place to meet with God? Can you imagine what a fearful enterprise that could be? Can you imagine the frightful condition this could have produced in Moses' life? But for the lampstand. There was no possibility of natural light. 
permeating the holy place. But God, who is light and who established his presence there, so enlightened it that Moses could enter into the very presence of God, not cowering in fear, but actually warming up to God, who is light. So our minister of prayer so often says he could snuggle up to God. He didn't have to cower in fear because of the lampstand, because of because of the light. Instead of cold and uh, and darkness and and fear, Moses met with a compassionate, loving, approachable God, who shed his life abroad in the room and in Moses' heart lovingly. So that that kind of love would cast out fear. So the first thing God said is, let there be light, this darkless, formless, scary world. Let there be light. Let me get it ready for the inhabitants thereof. Let there be light. You know, this is all a picture, isn't it? Of the Lord Jesus for us. He is the light of life. And without his life shed abroad in your hearts and without his light do you realize that coming into the presence of god would be a very frightening experience can you imagine i mean if you have an appointment with a dignitary you're a little sheepish about that imagine your appointment with god and we must all make do with the most high god imagine it if Jesus didn't enlighten you beforehand if Jesus, the light, didn't dispel the darkness, if Jesus didn't make communion with his Father so warm and sweet and so inviting. I have to tell you, it would otherwise be a frightening experience to think about approaching Almighty God. This is not the case, is it, for those of us who are Christ ones. For those of us who are wedded to the light, the Lord Jesus, and who have been enlightened by him. Now we can enter into close proximity, intimacy, fellowship, communion with the Most High God. And what do we feel? Warmth and comfort. Abba, Father, come to me, children. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come to me, find rest. Light opens up the possibility of the approachability, the accessibility, the warmth of fellowship with an otherwise unapproachably holy God. The seven-branched golden lampstand, which provided light in the dark place of the tabernacle, is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus, who himself said in John 8, verse 12, I am It's one of his grand and glorious I am statements. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. You're different. If you've been enlightened by the Lord Jesus, so am I. You think entirely differently. You're minded on different things. You think about children differently. You think about children in the womb differently. 
You think about elderly people differently. You think about your finances differently. You think about the usages of your body differently. You think about what you lend your eyes to differently. You think about raising your children differently. You value different things. You rejoice in different things. You see things that not even the wise people of the world can see. You can see what's coming. They have no idea. You have been enlightened. The light has revealed to you not only that your past has been laid to rest and that you've been born anew in the Lord Jesus. Not only that your presence is characterized by the warmth of his fellowship, but that your future is assured and that one day you will see him face to face. You'll be gathered around the throne with others enlightened by the light who is the Lord Jesus. You will gladly fall or jump or dance. Ooh, I'm sorry. Or watch others dancing. You will just worship forever the Lord Jesus. Do you know you cannot enter God's holy, heavenly tabernacle? Without light and natural man-made light will not do. As there was no natural light which could dispel the darkness and give access to the holy place in the earthly tabernacle, so too man's best efforts and enlightenment cannot make a way for any of us into the holy place of God's heavenly tabernacle. The best man has to offer ain't so hot. Human reason, human philosophy, natural enlightenment is not going to work. Only divine light shed abroad in your hearts by the Lord Jesus can lighten the way and give you access to God's holy, heavenly Tabernacle. If the special room in the tabernacle remained in darkness, you couldn't see the other wondrous things in it, like the table of showbread. If you've not asked Jesus to come into your life and enlighten you, you cannot see the wondrous and wonderful things he has for you. You can't know. And so you settle for what your eyes tell you to be true. If it feels good, you will do it to make yourself feel good. And then you feel bad. Because you, you, you can't see. You can't see. It's darkness. It is your nature. I mean, no offense. It's mine. It's the way it is. Your natural light is not going to cut it. They don't want to criticize anyone, but the leaders of the world are filled with natural light. Where's it getting us? Tell me. It's unbelievable. But, but when you invite the light of the world, to enlighten you. 
Now, I'll tell you why we hesitate, because the first thing he's going to show you is your sin. It's not a pretty picture. And then he's going to show you that you'll be judged for it. But then he's going to show you how to be in right standing with him. He's going to say, I was judged in your place. Let me enlighten you to that. And you're going to say, oh, my, thank you. Please come into my life, sin substitute, redeemer. And then he enlightens you. And you begin to see how good it is to get to know him more and more each day. You see how he desires to walk with you and talk with you. You see how he has granted you access. You see how though you, you are perhaps alone, you, as the world reckons it, you're, you're not alone. You see that whatever hungers have been conjured up in your life because of your past, your heavenly father can satisfy in your present. You, you, but you can't see, you can't, you can't see unless you accept Jesus first who can enlighten you. Have you done that? Then you know the joy, don't you? Oh, of having eyes that see the king. What he has to offer. The richness of his goodness and grace. The richness of his power. His planning. His orchestration of events in your life. His sovereign control. Of all world issues. His redemptive plan. You see, you see, you see. When, uh, when my boys were younger, we would, uh, call their attention to this item which we would illuminate on on a holiday called Hanukkah. Uh, it's uh, spoken of in John chapter 10, at least alluded to. The Lord went up to the temple to observe it on uh, in that chapter. It's called the Feast of Dedication or Festival of Lights. Why lights? Um, the, the golden lampstand was placed after the tabernacle into the temple in Jerusalem and a real bad guy named Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, you know, took the temple over and desecrated it, you know, uh, built crazy statues to Zeus and sacrificed pigs. You know, that's not a good deal. You know, uh, if you want to sort of win Jewish friends and influence them, the pig thing won't work. So, uh, just, so, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, this is a good name. Antiochus Epiphanes means appearance of God. So he was a humble guy. My name is Antiochus, but you can call me appearance of God. No, he wasn't. He was a fraud. But the real representation of the unseen God, the Lord Jesus, was walking in the temple precincts. On this very occasion, the feast, while the Jews were rededicating their the temple, the building, you know, cleansing it from what this character did. Ah, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus is saying, dedicate yourself to me. And so we, we celebrate this ancient uh, holiday using this menorah or candelabra, which has two extra branches than the seven-branched one. It is fashioned. It, 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 it's styled after the seven-branched one. This has nine because it is said that when the Jewish people got the temple back and cleansed it and rededicated it, there wasn't enough olive, pure olive, special oil to keep the lamps burning. Uh, 
very long, but that God supplied, and they had enough to uh, take care of eight days. So you have eight branches, four on this side, four on this side, bah. But it's the center one I want to call your attention to, the vertical stem. In this case, lift it up just a little bit above all the others. And this is how we are told to light this. I'll show you. The way you light all the candles is by first taking the light of this Central candle, distinguished from the others, which we call the shamas, which means servant. The servant candle enlightens the other. Dear folks, my people don't get it because they're in darkness. You, you miss out on a whole bunch of stuff, I'm telling you. You miss out on the wonders of God when you're in darkness. This shamas candle, servant candle, represents the Lord Jesus. You remember reading? For the Son of Man also came not to be Served, but to serve and to give his life and light as a ransom for others. So all the other candles are illuminated from the source, the shamas, who serves by providing light. Well, I didn't do too good, but you get the illustration. We'll just leave it there because I don't want to burn the place down. <clears throat> We used to sing when the boys were younger a song written by a person who got enlightened and now and began to write songs of praise to Almighty God. We used to sing, He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. We stumbled in the darkness. Now we're walking in the light. He's the light of the world. He's the light. Jesus is the light. Don't reduce all this conversation to religious stuff. Please, please, don't bring down what is so much more exciting than just religion <laughs> to the level of religion. I'm talking about enlightenment, which shows you the way into warm, forever, comfortable communion with the very creator of the world who will take you as his own, just the way you are. That's good stuff. Lord Jesus, why not tonight? Cold outside, warm in your presence, regardless of the temperature. Oh God, why not in the power which you possess, convert a soul tonight who is in darkness? leading that person into your marvelous light. Jesus, Lord Jesus, light of the world, come into the life of the one, the two, the more, who tonight are still stumbling in darkness. This we pray in your name, Lord Jesus, for you are indeed the light of the world.